Welcome to Start and Grow Your Pest Control Company. I'm your host, Alan Draper. I'm a family man, an attorney, and a serial entrepreneur who found a passion for the world of pests. Every week, this podcast will be your go-to for everything you need to level up your PCC. Thanks for joining me today. Now let's go. I didn't know how much I needed to know to do this. It's really easy to think I know how to kill bugs and get rid of mice and rats so I can start a pest control company. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me today. I'm glad you're here because we are going to start a new series with this episode. And what we're going to do is I'm going to invite a guest who has recently started his own pest control company within the last few weeks, actually. And we are going to follow him a little bit throughout the next couple of years. And I don't know exactly how many episodes we're going to do, but we're going to do one about every three or four months where we check in with him and find out how he's doing, what are some of the successes that he's having, what are some of the challenges, what are some things that he wish he knew you know, prior to starting the company that he didn't, and things like that. And I think that's going to add a lot of value to those that we have listening who are just getting started or who are wanting to take the leap and and start their own pest control company. So my guest today is Patrick Hawker. He is the owner and the founder of Bluebird Pest Solutions that's located in Northern Virginia. So just wanted to welcome you today, Patrick. And, you know, I'm glad that you you brought this idea to me. Thanks a lot, Alan. Thanks for having me on the podcast. This is really exciting. Never done a podcast before. And yeah, you know, I'm happy you like the idea because, you know, I'm just starting out myself and the amount of stuff that I don't know that I didn't know I needed to know is crazy. So I'm hoping that my experience and my success and my failures during this process can help benefit your listeners as well. Awesome. And I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that our listeners are going to be able to learn through your experiences and through our discussion about what you're going through at that moment. And I actually think a lot of the lessons will apply to people that are a little further along in their companies as well. So I'm excited. I thought this was a great idea when you reached out to me. I still think it is. And as I've thought more about it, I've kind of you know, had this idea evolve a little bit. So just to get started, I want to hear a little bit about you and your story. So if we could start with where you went to high school and then take that through, take us through the timeline up until your first pest control job. All righty. Well, I am born and raised in Northern Virginia, Fairfax County. And I went to high school in Chantilly, Virginia at Westfield High School. I graduated in 2007. And, you know, it wasn't a great year to graduate high school, great recession and all that stuff. And I signed up for some classes. You know, I did, I was going to do a full semester at the local community college. And I don't even think I made it three weeks between doing school and working in a restaurant at my first job. And I, I just decided, you know what? I was too burnt out after high school. Little did I know what life would have for me. And 
So I, I took some time off from school. But, you know, a lot of times when it happens, you take time off from college, you never go back to college. And that's kind of the path that I ended up on. And I was a host and I waited tables in a restaurant for about two years. And during that time, I met my wife online, Christina, and she's from Argentina. And after knowing her for about eight or nine months, I flew down to meet her for her birthday, stayed for about a month. And three months after I got back from that trip, moved down to Argentina for two and a half years. While I was there, you know, she was the main breadwinner. Well, you know, my Spanish was terrible then, still pretty bad. But I did a few odd jobs here and there. You know, after two and a half years, we came back. We were married. We had a nine-month-old daughter, Bella, and we were pregnant with our son, Owen. And thank goodness for my parents being the kind and generous people they are because they really helped us to kind of get set up and get on our feet when we got back. And I went back and waited tables for about six months and found a job as a security guard at like an outdoor town center. And it was while I was working at that job that I met my first boss in pest control. Okay, perfect. So how old are Bella and Owen now? They are eight and nine years old, and they are going crazy because they don't leave the house nearly often enough. And so, and you graduated in 2007. So how old are you? I'm 31. Okay, perfect. So you're 31 years old. And okay, now let's backtrack a little bit. So you meet your first boss in the pest control industry. What happens after that? Well, he was, you know, there's one day I'm just walking around on patrol and I keep seeing this truck driving by, you know, it says pest control on it. And after a while, he's sitting on the corner I just walk up and, hey, you know, you need something. And he was trying to find a restaurant that they hadn't put the name out yet. And I told him where to go and all that. And a couple months later, I ran into him again and we got to talking. And he started talking about this job that he had. And I heard, you get to take the truck home. And it's like, oh, cool. Where do I sign up? You know, we were young married couple with one car and where we live, that doesn't work. So the availability to take that truck home at the end of the day was a big selling point. And that's really what got me into pest control. And and sorry, what year was that again? That was back in 2013. So seven years ago. Okay. So in 2013, you start in the pest control industry. Yep. And how long are you with that company? Well, it's a little complicated because I worked for him for about two years, maybe two years and three months. And I actually left for a year to go work for another company that was local to my area. And then after about a year at that company, I returned to the original company where I worked for another three and a half years. And so just curious, why did you leave the first time? At the time, well, a little bit of background about the company. They are a strictly commercial pest control company. You know, 90 percent, 90 plus percent of their business is restaurants. And at the time, I had somehow ended up taking care of one of our biggest clients in the area. And, you know, timing is everything in life. Not very long after I get this big account, I switch over and I'm making commission. 
that account decides they're going to expand and go national. So they're going to go with the national pest control company. And my pay on commission went down considerably. And I had already met and was talking with the other gentleman that I went to work for a little bit. And, you know, he's running a residential pest control company. And the timing just seemed to fit. You know, I needed more money and I wanted to jump out and see what residential pest control is like as opposed to just doing commercial pest control. Gotcha. Okay. So you're, and you're with the second company, did you say for one year? About one year. Yes. Okay. And then you come back. Is that right? That is correct. And how long are you there with your second, I guess your second stint with that company? It ended up being about three and a half years. In the last two years and three months or so, I was the service manager for Northern Virginia with them. And then that brings us up to March of 2020 when we all know what happened then. Okay. So tell me about your experience in March of 2020 and that transition between being an employee and deciding to pull the trigger on your own PCC. Oh, gosh. Well, I want to be clear. Without 2020, I don't think I ever would have started my own pest control company. You know, this is just such a unique series of events that put me in a situation that like this is what makes sense for me to do. But, you know, in March, I was very short-staffed. You know, I was supposed to have me and four technicians. It was me and two technicians. Finally found a guy to hire. I trained him for a week. And then, boom, pandemic 2020 hits. And because we do all commercial, 90 plus percent of that is restaurants, everybody's freaking out. None of us know what's going on. And, you know, one... One week, we had half of our clients like, don't come. We don't know what's going on. And this led the owner of the company I was working for to temporarily shut down the whole company so that he could step back and reassess and what's the best way for me to tackle this situation. And after that happened, things started happening and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but things started happening that they just didn't sit well with me in the big picture of things. And the big thing for me was I had a feeling in my gut, the kids were not going to be going back to school this fall. And short of one of us putting our whole salary into childcare, it doesn't make any sense for both of us to be working a 40 hour a week job when the kids have to be home doing school. And, you know, my wife, for the first time in her life, had a job that she loved, loves going there. And it's like, look, you're, you're happy at your job for the first time since I've known you. So you go back to work and I'm going to sit here and think about what I can do. And, you know, there was one day I was just sitting there. I think I was going through paying all the bills and looking at the bank account. And it's like, you know, if I wanted to, I could start my own pest control company. And I, it's, it seemed crazy at the time. Who in their right mind starts a pest control company in the middle of a worldwide pandemic and the worst economic recession in at least 10 years? I mean, who does that? But I was really surprised that as I started talking to people that I know about this business, 
there was not a single person who said, oh, no, that's a bad idea. Everyone was like, oh, my goodness, you have to do this. You know, now that you've told me, I'm going to make you do this. And the big thing that happened that kind of pushed me towards doing this is because my wife went back to work. And even though I was unemployed, I was able to get financing to get a truck. There's no truck, no business. So once I was able to find out that I could get the truck, that's like, all right, let's do this. Okay. So before you actually pulled the trigger, you wanted to make sure that you could at least get a vehicle to service the accounts. Oh, absolutely. Because without a reliable service vehicle, you can't have a service business. And that was the big question that I had. And I'll be completely honest. I put off calling the bank because I thought they were going to tell me, no, you can't do this. Your wife's not making enough money. But I was very surprised when I called the bank and they're like, yeah, we can do it. And I got a fantastic interest rate. And that was like the last excuse that I had to not do it. Once that fell down, the next day is when I made my decision to go ahead and take the leap. Okay. And so what day is that approximately? That was kind of mid-June. I'd like to tell you that it was an aha moment that I'll remember for the rest of my life, but it's it didn't work out that way. So it was kind of mid-June. Gotcha. gotcha. And I think there's something that should be said about finding opportunity in the middle of a crisis. No matter what stage we are in life, we are going to have moments where we wish they would pass really quickly. Challenges with family, challenges with business partners, challenges financially, challenges with the economy, with politics, whatever. And the thing that I've noticed is successful people, they're able to thrive despite their challenges. And a, a lot of times I talk to people that think that they're somehow special or unique because of their severity of their challenges. And there are certainly, and I, I want to be clear about this, there are certainly people that go through challenges that I don't want anything to do with. And I feel like I've lived a very blessed life. I feel very fortunate. But that being said, the listeners that are waiting for that opportunity, if you're waiting for some, you know, sign from above or from, you know, for some miracle before you pull the trigger, think about Patrick. Okay. He was in the middle of this economy, just like the rest of us. His boss, surprisingly enough for, and I, I actually want to talk to him now and find out why would he put everything on hold? I get the, you know, being scared, not sure what would happen, but why stop the cash flow? Why stop the revenue? Um, that's the last thing that I would do. But anyway, despite all of that, he saw this opportunity. Patrick wasn't, you know, from what I can tell, he, he wasn't just wallowing and saying, you know, woe is me. And, you know, he was looking for opportunity. And so the listeners that are waiting now is your opportunity. It doesn't matter when you're listening to this, right? Now is the opportunity. You've been waiting for a sign. I am giving you your sign. Okay. Now, now you can move forward with that. So, okay. So you pull the trigger. We're talking, did you say it was around, we're talking mid June, 2020. Yeah. What is the very first thing you do once you decide, Hey, I'm going for this. Well, first thing is I told my wife and she got really happy. But the first thing actually working towards this goal 
Actually, I will say telling my wife is working towards this goal because now she's not going to let me say no and not going to let me back out of it. But the first thing I did was, well, I wanted to come up with a name because you can't really, you have to have a name on all the paperwork. You know, you can't get ins- you can't get insurance without a name for your company. So, you know, I came up with the name and then I make, I work on getting general liability insurance because I can't get licensed with the state if I don't have general liability insurance. I was very surprised at how affordable general liability insurance was. I was always under the impression when talking to owners of pest control companies that GL insurance is one of their biggest expenses. And maybe when you're hiring other techs, it is. But right now, me, myself, and I, I'm, I'm amazed at how affordable it is. And then it kind of becomes a waiting game because there is a bit of a process involved in getting a GL policy put together. And then you've got to send all the paperwork off to the state. And heaven knows it's not like you can call the State Department of Agriculture and say, hey, can we put a rush on this, please? After that, it's let's start working on a website. Let's start finding the truck that we're going to use and start trying to put together the vision for what I want the company to be. You know, that's kind of how it all started. That's the process I went through. So let's discuss a little bit about licensing. Now, each state is going to be maybe a little, have some similarities, but still have some differences as well. And I experienced this problem when I got licensed in our first state. I thought it was going to be, I fill out a form, you know, maybe pay an application fee and I was going to be ready. What are some things that you had to get in line in order to get licensed in Virginia? Well, thankfully in Virginia, when you have your certified applicator's license, there's no test that you have to take to get your business license. So essentially the requirement is you have to have your applicator's license. So Virginia, there's two steps. There's registered technician, which when you first get into the industry, that's what you do. You have to be a registered technician for a year before you can test to become a certified applicator. And because I had the certified applicator license, there's no test that I had to take. So really it was get the, G, the GL insurance, the liability insurance, have the certificate and the fee for the licensing registration and mail it off to the state. I know Virginia is a lot more simple than some other states are. And one thing I do want to encourage your listeners, I see a lot of people asking online about specific state regulations. Call your State Department of Agriculture and ask them directly. They're there to help you. They want to help you. And you're going to get much faster and more direct answers about what you need to do. Got it. Perfect. So so you're working on your license. Sounds like you're starting to get a website together and start plan for some marketing. Let's fast forward a little bit. Do you have goals? Do you have a revenue goal? Do you have, hey, I want to make this much money. I want to have a technician by you know, next year. What goals or what kind of ideas about the direction of your company did you have during the time that you're working on your license? I've never really been a goal-oriented person, but this is definitely one of those things where even if I didn't write down the goal, I knew what I wanted to go after. And, you know, now that I've started this, you know, I had 
a general idea of, oh, I want to do $3,000 in revenue my first month. Couldn't really tell you why I wanted to hit that number my first month. But you know, now that I'm into this a little bit and I know what my expenses are, you know, I'm on track and I should exceed that amount for my first month in business, which I'm happy about. But I knew all along, you know, Virginia pest control can be very seasonal. Once you get towards October, end of October, residential pest control slows down a bit. And it's important for me, especially in 2020, when God only knows what's going to happen next, that I have enough revenue on the books that's going to come in every month to get me through the winter. So my goal is to have about $1,500 in monthly revenue that is coming in the door without me doing anything for it. And that $1,500 covers my basic expenses from the business. And I know that, okay, it may not make a profit during the winter, but it's also not a drain in my savings account. You know, that was, that was the most important thing. And I'm happy to say I, I'm well on my way to hitting both of those goals. And you're in a little bit of a unique situation. Well, at least something that doesn't apply to everybody. And that is you have a spouse that's also a breadwinner. Is that right? That's correct. And so that gives you a little bit of a cushion where if you have a down month or maybe you have a tough month with expenses, you guys are still going to be okay. Yeah, that's definitely a big help. And I mean, I'll be honest, I've got wonderful parents and a family that supports me in what I'm doing. And that all together helps me to know that, look, worst case scenario, I have people who are willing to help me. Now, I'm happy to say I don't think worst case scenario is going to happen, but my wife working definitely does help take some of the pressure off. And it gives me a little bit of time to kind of let me get this right the first time instead of, oh my goodness, I need to go out and start making money right away because there's no money coming in. So it does help to have a little bit of cushion. And we do have money that we've been able to put into a savings account so that if unexpected things come up or if I'm not able to do more than that basic expenses, you know, we're going to be fine. So let's say that there's somebody that they're thinking about quitting their job, they're a technician, let's say they have six, seven years under their belt and they're wanting to quit their job, hang a shingle. Now, the catch is they're the only breadwinner, okay? So they don't have, and let's say they have a family, let's say they have two kids and a spouse. Spouse stays home with the kids. Patrick, in end of summer 2020, what do you tell that guy without knowing other things? And I know other things come into play, but what do you tell him? Put the money into a savings account to make sure that anywhere from three to six months of your basic living expenses are covered. You know, and I think if you talk to anyone who started in this industry, they will tell you it does not happen as quick as you think it's going to happen. My first week when I launched, I think I had four clients and you don't put bread on the table with four clients. So you want to make sure that you have that savings to lean back on. And you don't have to come out with a brand new truck. You don't have to pay thousands of dollars to have your truck wrapped. 
ask around, see if you can find someone that has a BNG that just needs a couple of parts, and you can fix up that BNG without having to buy a brand new sprayer for two hundred and fifty dollars. There, there's a lot of ways to not spend a lot of money when starting your company, and the less money you spend on starting it, the quicker and faster you're going to get to making a profit and being able to pay yourself something to start putting food on the table without dipping into your savings account. But that savings account is the big key. You, I don't know how a person can do that. If, if someone's got the drive and the energy and they have the connections, maybe. But my advice is the first couple of months is slow. Have the, exp- have the savings set by, put away, to help you get through those first few months because it, it will be slow starting out. So it's interesting that you mentioned that because I re- I recently recorded a podcast episode that everyone's going to want to listen to that talks about how to increase your bottom line profit. So how to increase your net profit. And our focus is, so there's basically two ways to do that, right? You can either increase your revenue or decrease your costs or some combination of those. And this in this episode, we speak specifically about how to increase it without increasing your top line revenue. And so we just focus on costs. And I think that goes unsaid a lot in our industry. I get questions all the time. Hey, how do I increase my my number of accounts? How do I increase my revenue? What do I do for marketing? Stuff like that. And we need to talk about that stuff. That's That's really important. But there's other ways to increase that that net profit. And so you talking about controlling your costs with equipment and maintaining a and g so you don't have to replace it and things like that, that's it's severely overlooked. So so people that are listening, you want to increase your net profit, the easiest way to do that is actually to become more efficient. So look at your costs. So let's talk a little bit about marketing, um, Patrick, while we're, we're, we're on that subject. How did you get your first couple of customers? Well, the first couple of customers were people that I knew, you know, mom and dad signed up, my aunt, my grandmother, friends of the family. Beyond that, the first clients that I've been getting are just from me posting about my business in some of the local groups on Facebook. Like there's there's a Northern Virginia parents group and a couple of days a month, you're allowed to post about your business in there. And I went and posted and you know, it's 2020. There's a big focus on supporting local businesses. And I put my story out there. It's like, look, you know, I got laid off in March, started my own company, and I gave them an offer. I'm in 2020 right here with you. I've got this offer for you if you decide to come with me. And I think I've gotten five or six recurring quarterly clients out of that so far. And It's been more than a week since I made that post and I'm still getting a phone call once every couple of days. I have not, until recently, I haven't really jumped into marketing per se. You know, I'm trying to do some marketing with Facebook ads and, you know, it's only been two days and I'm already freaking out that I made the wrong decision on where to market, but... I'm also of the mind I have to try now while it's still August, it's still summer, and it's still hot. People are having ants and spiders and wasps, and they're more likely to call me. So I'm taking a chance with it now. 
to see if it works. If it doesn't work, I'm going to readjust and try something else. But marketing is the scariest bit of this whole thing for me. Everywhere else where I put my money, I understand how it's going to come back. You know, spend the money on a B&G, well, the money comes back because then I can do the treatment and get paid for the treatment. Marketing, you talk to five people in the industry and you're going to get five different opinions on what kind of marketing works for them, what kind of marketing doesn't work for them. And I'm sitting here kind of scratching my head like I really don't know where it is best to put my money at this point. I always say that marketing is the black hole of business. I think I've heard that somewhere, but <laughs> I will it's, agree. It's, it's very similar to gambling. The nice thing is you have a little more control over your marketing than you do, you know, on the slots or the card table. But with marketing and people need to hear this, you are going to lose money in the beginning. You have to, you have to learn your market. You have to learn your audience. You have to learn your marketing platforms. You have to figure out what works and what doesn't. In order for you to do that, you have to spend money. And it is scary. You'll spend thousands or tens of thousands, depending on your size of dollars, just figuring it out and trying to see what works for you. But you have to do it. And that information that you get is invaluable to future growth of your company. Absolutely. So, And I want to add one thing to that. Even if the marketing works, you're going to lose money in the short term. Because the money that you bring me in is not necessarily going to cover your marketing budget right away. It's in the amount of customers that you can turn into that recurring revenue. That's where you start to get your money back from marketing so far as I've seen. Yeah, that's right. In order to have a, a company that really produces, you don't necessarily have to have this behemoth, right? You don't need this huge company. There's people out there that are making 30, 40, 50% net profit that have very small operations, but they've identified their markets and they've kept them relatively small. If they keep their markets small, then they can increase their their route density. And route density is huge to profit margin. It's huge to your gross profit and it's huge to your net profit. And so it's a little different though in the beginning, right? When When things are slow, you'll take a little more than you normally would. So are you taking pretty much anything that walks through the door or are you being picky at this stage? I've had a couple calls come in that I have not been sad when they did not call me back. So it wasn't really me saying no to them, but I was relieved when they didn't say yes to me. But by and large, I am anything that comes through the door, I'm willing to do at this point. You know, I really don't want to do a lot of one-time services in the long run. But in the short term, it's really nice to pay the bills. And it's really nice to get that extra money from doing a one-time service as opposed to someone who signs up for a special and the real money is going to be made later on the quarterly revenue. So in the idea of what you're talking about, route density matters, oh, man, I, there's no such thing as route density right now because I'm covering a territory, you know, it's three counties, a couple of cities, and I'm kind of pigeonholed. I can't really service one of them without serving the others because that's what everyone else does and people know each other all over the place and I don't want to miss the boat 
if someone has a referral that's farther away than I want to go. So I've been doing a lot of driving and I can give you a story. Yesterday, I went out to a place. It's about an hour away from me, about 20 minutes past where my last stop was for that day. And they had a hornet job. They had a hornet's nest up in the peak of the eave underneath the roof. And it's it's up there. And I got out of the truck and it's like, oh, man, I don't think I can get this. And sure enough, my ladder was not tall enough with the extension pole. I was about two feet short. And it was just, oh, it was such a buzzkill. Yeah, I, I took all the time going out there and I get there and I can't do the job. And, you know, thankfully, I know someone else. I was able to call him and he went out today and took care of it. So I can still take care of the client, which is important to me. I'm not just going to leave and say, oh, well, sorry, I can't help you call somebody else. But that was a bummer. And that's some of the stuff that I'm just going to have to deal with right now. You know, all of the driving's on me because it's me. I don't have a tech. I can say, hey, drive out here an hour away and take care of this for me. It doesn't work that way. And there's no wrap density to profitability yet because anything that comes my way, I'm trying to get it done. It's nice to be in a position where you can turn work away. And I think there's the middle stage too, right? So in the beginning, you take anything that walks in the door. Then you get to a point and, you know, this is, it's a nice luxury to have. And even the larger companies can do this where they price their services so that it makes it worth it to them. So if, for example, if somebody's, you know, five miles out of our service area, you can say, hey, I can take care of that for you. And then you price them above what you would price a normal customer because it is going to cut in your net profit. We do the same thing with certain types of customers that we've worked with in the past that have shown that they take more of our time. Sometimes they're rude to our customer service representatives. Those are tough customers to handle and you don't want them to leave you a bad review. And so you don't want to say, hey, you know what? I don't want to do business with you anymore, man. I don't want your money. Like, I don't. I want you to stop calling my company. And so one thing I learned is, hey, we're going to do a one-time for $400. And then I think of it as, all right, we'll 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 take care of it. We can deal with him a couple of phone calls. If, But you're kind of hoping that the person outside the service area, the person with the hornet's nest that you know, they say on, is on the second floor, you may not be able to reach or whatever. You're, you're in the back of your mind, you get to a position where you're like, Hey, I actually, if they told me no, I would be okay with that. If they told me, yes, we can make it work. All right. So real quick, we're going to shift gears here, Patrick, and we're going to go into the fire round. And so these are yes or no questions. So I'm looking for just a quick one one word response to these 10 questions. And then I'll give you a second at the end if you have any clarifying points or whatever. And I'd like you to answer it just for your company right now, not necessarily based on your opinion of where you want to end up, but just based on your company where you stand today, okay? Sounds good. Let's do it. All right. Home Advisor ads, yes or no? No. Is your first hire going to be a tech, admin, or salesperson? Door-to-door salesperson. Ooh, I like that. New or used vehicles? New. Best book for business owners? Okay, it's more than one word. I've got three. I really like The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. You Can't Go Wrong with How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And From Tech to CEO by Daniel Gordon. Those are awesome. 
especially the E-Myth. Oh, um, man. That every, every business owner needs to read it. Absolutely. Especially a technician that's wanting to start their own business. It opened my eyes to so much, so many pitfalls that I've been able to avoid because I read that book. Awesome. I know the answer to this because of a previous question, but door-to-door sales, yes or no? Yes. Print advertising, yes or no? No. What's the best platform for finding personnel? My best hire at my last company came from a Craigslist ad. I don't know if it'll be that way next time, but... Interesting. All right. Best one sentence advice you've ever received. It came from my grandfather and people often miss opportunity because it's disguised as hard work. I like that. That's especially true in our industry. It really is. And I didn't have a great relationship with my grandfather just because he was very sick by the time I came around. But my mother has always told me he said that. And I think most of the time she's trying to get my knucklehead teenage or young 20-year-old self to get up and do something. And it finally paid off because when I was thinking about this, that's what kept coming in my Honestly, there's there's not a lot that can make up for hard work. And even I think a lot of the pest control companies out there, they look at some of these companies that grow so fast and they think that that it's easy. And it's not. <laughs> it's Actually, not. growing fast is more work. It's easier to not grow fast, growing at a moderate level or to not grow. That's that's easier. Um, a lot le- less risk too. Let's talk about some things that you've learned since starting your PCC in terms of what you may not have known before. I think for, it's going to sound cliche, but I didn't know how much I needed to know to do this. It's really easy to think I know how to kill bugs and get rid of mice and rats so I can start a pest control company. You've got to know how to file your paperwork correctly to get your insurance. You've got to, if you miss a payment on that stuff, man, they, they put that, that cancellation notice in the mail awfully quick. I was very surprised at how quick that happened. It didn't get canceled, but they didn't miss a beat with that one. I'm not great financially. It's, I'm learning my way around bookkeeping and I cannot stand it because I'm so bad with numbers. And that's something that I'm definitely having to work on. And I've always felt that I have a knack for marketing. You know, I can come up with good ideas. It's very different trying to actually enact and pay for a marketing plan because it it can be a crapshoot sometimes what works and what doesn't. And I think that's been one of the biggest eye-openers for me is I really don't know what's the right call to do in marketing. That's been the biggest thing that I don't know. I'll be honest, shifting gears a little bit on what I didn't know, I'm actually surprised at how low my bottom line expenses are. From talking to other owners in the industry and talking to other techs who, oh yeah, my boss says he he can't afford to pay me anymore. I'm pleasantly surprised, at least at this point, it's me, myself, and I. I don't have a tech creating other expenses. I have a new truck, so there's no maintenance expenses. I know there's more expenses later, but I'm, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised at how low my baseline expenses are. And I think that's been the biggest shock so far is like, hey, 
I can do this because the expenses are low enough for me to hit without a lot of trouble. Yeah, two points. First of all, I like that you mentioned that there's all these other aspects, right? You knew the you knew the pest control side, you knew the customer service side. That was no problem. But there's all this all these other aspects to running a business. And going back to the one of the books you recommended, got to read the E-Myth. Okay? There's there's a lot of things that you have to know to run a business, and I'm actually not trying to in a weird way, I'm trying to persuade you to do it, right? I just want people that are listening to do it the right way. Don't bury your head in the sand. Don't think, hey, I can run a route. Don't think, hey, I can sell accounts door to door and stop there because you're just getting started, right? Grab the e-myth and realize that as soon as you start a business, you are not going to have the time to do all the things that you're really good at. You're not. You're you're so busy doing other things. On the other hand, there's help out there when you can get to that point where, when it's economically feasible for you. And I think it's great news that you mentioned that the expenses are lower than you had anticipated. We're in a cool industry for a lot of reasons, but one of them is the profit margins can be pretty high. Okay. Now, when you start getting help, especially people that don't care about your business as much as you do, they don't care about your equipment and your trucks and your fuel card as much as you do that will start to slip. That being said, there are tricks and there are things you can do to get your employees to buy in. And you have to get them on board with a vision. They have to feel like they're coming to work for more than a paycheck. And when they do, things will start to climb back up. So when you get help, there's going to be a dip in efficiency. The product's going to be wasted. They're going to err on using more product rather than less or whatever, right? But that dip will start to it will start to reverse if you can get your employees to buy buy into what you're doing. So, all right. So we're what are we? We're two months in, right, Patrick? You you've been in business for about two months, give or take. It's been registered for two months, but I really only just went live about three weeks ago. Okay. And so, what are your priorities as of today? What what are you working on? What are you trying to get better better at? What's kind of on your mind today? You mean besides everything? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's actually a good point, right? Because as a business owner, you it literally is everything that every aspect of your business, and so you have to kind of get it down to bite-sized pieces, right? Something that you can manage. Oh, absolutely. What, what, for example, what were you working on before we jumped on this chat today? When I first started putting everything together, it was important for me to put a professional-looking website out there. I did not give two thoughts to SEO or how things were supposed to be done on the website to help me down the line. And I've got a friend of mine. She does SEO work. And she came over the other night and ripped my website to shreds. It looks good. That's great. But as far as SEO goes, it's not helping me at all. So I've been I've been working today on trying to go through the website and you know fix up the areas that she's talking about for SEO. For example, sometimes I'm referring to the company as Bluebird Pest Solutions, other times I'm just calling it Bluebird. When reality for Google and SEO, it needs to be Bluebird Pest Solutions every time and that's something I didn't even know. So that's that's what I've been working on today and you know, I've been trying not to stress about my marketing plan that I put out there that I'm paying for 
and I'm worried that it's not going to work. And I'm trying to entice the customers that I already have to take the initiative without me badgering them. Hey, can you leave a Google review? Can you leave a Facebook or Yelp review? Because I know, just like any small business owner knows, those reviews are gold. The more reviews I can have quicker, the faster things are going to kind of start to roll because people will see, hey, he's an established business. And I, I do just want to say, going back to my little everything comment, is be prepared to be tired when you're doing this, when you're starting a business. You know, I'm not exactly staying up late agonizing over things, but man, I don't get restful sleep anymore. And, you know, it's 2020. I think all of us are feeling that way, but it's hit another level since I decided to go out and do this on my own. And it's just like the the worry and the stress and the anxiety is always present. You know, I'm not sitting here a nervous wreck because of what I'm doing. Oh my God, what if it doesn't work? But, you know, my brain, even when I'm trying to sleep, is just overactive and crazy. And it's hard not to spend every day agonizing over every little thing. I've got two kids, they're eight, nine years old, and they can't go see their friends very often. So I have to remind myself why I'm doing this. And at the end of the day, I'm doing this for my family, but I can't exclude my family while I'm trying to do this. And that's probably been the biggest, that's a, I think that's probably been the biggest challenge so far is reminding myself that if I don't take the time for my family now, while it's small, I'm not going to take the time for them later when I get busy. I love that. And I, I want to recommend a book, uh, Simon Sinek, uh, wrote a book called Start With Why or Starting With Why and owning a business, especially once you get actually at every level, to be honest, starting the stress doesn't go away. It just changes. It changes from I don't have enough customers. I don't have enough revenue. I don't know if I'm going to make it to this employee makes me want to pull my hair out. This employee keeps running into other vehicles, you know, and so at each stage you have different levels of stress. If you figure out why you're doing it, it doesn't make it easy, but it makes it a little easier. It makes it a little more manageable because you're you're not thinking and money can't be the reason, right? Cuz money in itself is means to an end. People don't want money just to sit there and look at it, right? There's people that want it for the security. They want it so they can pay for their kids' college education. They want it so their wife doesn't have to work. They want it so, you know, they can build a larger company, employ more people, give more volunteer hours, whatever it is. And so at those moments when everything's on your mind, you don't know if you're going to make it, it does help to go back to that concept of what, why am I here? Simon Sinek did a viral YouTube video called the golden circle. Check it out. It, it changed my life and it changed my perspective on why I'm doing things and on my kind of entrepreneurial endeavors. So let me ask you a question, Patrick, is your, as of today, is your website live? It is live. Yes. And the reason why I wanted to mention that is a website is a work in progress. There's a lot of things as a business owner that are works in progress, pretty much everything. But I remember when we did our first version, it took me months to to get to the point where I felt like it could represent our company. And I should have just pushed it, really, because you're always going to be working on it. In our third episode, I talked with a, a marketing specialist. And some one thing that surprised me about that conversation was his inference of how fast you should get your website live. 
even if it's a budget one, two page website, get it out there, get Google crawlers on it so that it can start developing SEO and people can actually look you up. I do just kind of want to jump in here for people who are curious. I built my website with Wix.com. You know, you're going to hear a lot of people say, oh, well, I hired someone to do it. You don't have to shell out a lot of money to have someone get a, a decent looking website up there for you. You know, I, I, hundred bucks on Wix.com for a year. And I would say I probably put 30 to 35 hours of work putting that out there. Uh, you know, I think Alan's right. You know, it doesn't have to be perfect as far as SEO goes. Something is better than nothing. Don't wait until it's perfect. That's great. And you do need to get something out there. Now, there are opinions about different website platforms and in, ter- in terms of how Google can crawl them and things like that. So I would actually refer listeners to the episode three. I think it's called Marketing is for the Birds and the Bugs. I know I'm a creative genius. <laughs> okay, Patrick, we're starting to wrap this thing up. And so so the listeners can understand where do you stand today and where are you wanting to be three months from now? Well, I think it's important to remember in Northern Virginia, it's going to be November. We'll be knocking on Thanksgiving and kind of what I touched base on before. I want to have my monthly expenses covered. I don't want to worry one iota about, can I make the truck payment? Is the insurance going to be paid for? What about gas? I want to, I want to not have to touch my savings account or get a business credit card just to stay afloat for the winter. And, you know, I got a, I got a late start, you know, August when you're not a year round pest control area, that's, that's late to be starting. And it's 2020. Things are crazy. I have to help the kids with school and what I'm doing now and this fall and this winter you know, my biggest goal is to set myself up for spring when knock on word, everything's back to normal and the kids can go to class and get out of my hair. I love my kids. I don't want anyone to think I don't, but I want to be ready to crush it in the spring. And the first step in doing that is I need to get to a point where, okay, I've got the monthly revenue coming in. I don't have to worry about paying the bills. And I feel like that's going to free my mind up a little bit to let's get ready for spring where we're going to really go out and just crush it. You know, I don't know what crush it looks like, but I'm already planning to hire a door-to-door sales guy in the spring. And, you know, three months from now, November is not a busy season, but I'm going to be using that time getting ready to hopefully start to see the full potential of what I'm doing in the spring. Yeah. We use the off season I've actually been trying to change that nomenclature. We use the fall season, the fall winter season to prepare for the next year. In his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he talks about how really successful individuals and companies are able to spend a majority of their time, I think 70 to 80% working on important things that are not urgent. And so that's what we use our our fall winter time for because things aren't crazy. You know, we're still busy, but I love it. Okay, Patrick, final thought. What is something that you want somebody to know that's just getting started or thinking about getting started? I think one of the important things to remember and something that's really easy to forget is you're not just working for right now. 
you have to have a bigger goal at the end game. If you're setting your business up for me, myself, and I, I'm the only one. I'm the only one taking money out of it. I'm the only one getting paid. Are you going to be able to take the leap and hire an employee without having to restructure everything? Start your business and think about where you want your business to be in six months, in a year, in two years. Try to already have the idea and the processes in place. And important, have the pricing in place. We've all heard about those guys who go out because they don't have an employee to pay who do jobs cheap. If you want to hire employees, you have to be ready for it. And that starts now. It starts from day one. If you wait until later, it's going to be a lot harder. Now you're speaking my language. I think we undersell ourselves quite a bit in this industry and I hate seeing it because we're we're a professional industry and, and we deserve more. So, Amen to that. I think one of the coolest things about owning a business is the excitement. I have never been more excited about a job in my life than I have been about starting and growing a company. And I know I'm not, that's not something that's unique to me. It's intoxicating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's tough to know when to say, you know, when to call it a day because the work, it doesn't end. And the more motivated you are, the more you want things to improve and get better. So Patrick, that was awesome. I think this is a great idea. Again, I'm glad you reached out to me. I think that we're going to be able to develop this into a very useful tool for those that are kind of where you are a little bit and for those that are either behind you or ahead of you in terms of time in the industry. But for our listeners, let me know what questions you have for Patrick. Let me know what things I should be asking him about, what things we should be talking about in our next episode, which will air in probably, my guess is about three months. I'd like to do them once a quarter. We'll see what happens. Maybe there's a higher demand. Maybe, you know, especially in the beginning, there's there's more questions that we need answered. So thanks a lot for joining me today, Patrick. This has been great. And I look forward to future episodes. Thanks for having me on, Alan. I had fun and I'm looking forward to the journey. Thanks again to Patrick for joining me today. Make sure to follow along to see what ends up happening with Patrick and his company. We will follow up with him in probably three or four months and just check in, see what his new challenges are, see what successes he's had and things like that. So when you get a sec, also make sure to subscribe so that your podcast episodes are automatically downloaded when they're available. And if you also have a chance, make sure to leave me a review and reach out to me if there's some subject or even a possible guest that you might recommend that would be helpful to you. And also find us on Facebook. Our group is how to start and grow your pest control company. There's lots of great resources on there and a great community. So uh, thanks for joining me today. Till next time.